If you're not already there, would you please open up with me to Colossians chapter 1. And in our coverage of these passages, which I've not yet had a chance to, to preach on, we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to chapter 2, verse 5. So that means that between last week and this week, you may be wondering what's happening to verses 15 to 23. Well, I would have to refer you to a sermon that was preached sometime last year on the topic of reconciliation um, to understand that. But Paul moves from his prayer of thanksgiving in the first eight verses to a prayer of supplication in verses 9 to 14. That's what we learned about last week, where we saw Paul's priorities for prayer. And he moves from supplication and from prayer to praise, where he extols the centrality of Christ, the preeminence of Christ. And then in our passage tonight, which still forms part of Paul's broad introduction, he speaks about rejoicing in suffering. So like I said, this is still part of Paul's broad introduction, which runs all the way from the beginning of the book up till chapter 2, verse 5, where Paul is expressing and articulating and establishing the relationship that he has with the Colossians. And essentially, this relationship is centered on Christ. That's the basis for this relationship, Christ. And Paul gets that across by explaining why he is suffering, why he is suffering in the first place. Suffering, of course, forces us to think about what we value most and what we're willing to give up in order to have something else. That's the role that suffering plays in our lives. But how can it be that Paul rejoices in his suffering? How is it that anyone can keep going, find hope or have meaning in the midst of suffering? Well, that's the question that Paul delves into in this text. Paul is able to rejoice in his suffering, and we will be able to rejoice in our suffering if we remember the reasons why we are suffering, the reasons why we're suffering. Specifically, we'll learn about two reasons for suffering. First, we will find joy in our suffering when we suffer for the church, when we suffer for others. And second, we will find joy in our suffering when we suffer for Christ, when we suffer for the gospel. That's what we'll see in these verses as we deal with them in a sort of cursory manner tonight with the time given us. But let's look at Paul's first reason to rejoice in his suffering, suffering for the church. Let's read verses 24 and 25 together. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. Now, we, before we get to Paul's reasons for suffering, let's just quickly stop and understand what kind of suffering Paul was going through. I think many of us are well acquainted with the kind of suffering he went through, but most likely he's referring to his imprisonment. We know at the end of the book of Colossians, he says, remember my chains. He says, remember that I'm writing to you from prison. Paul was known for going from city to city, to synagogue to synagogue, proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, that there is a Lord above all lords, and that he had died and risen from the dead. However, there were many who felt threatened by Paul, who thought he was blaspheming, thought that he was speaking against Moses, against the law, and against the temple. And for speaking this truth, he was subject to unjust trials, to kangaroo courts, to beatings and imprisonments. 
In fact, he is writing Colossians while in prison. So this is the kind of suffering that Paul is speaking about rejoicing in. And yet, he is rejoicing. How could he have joy in his imprisonment and suffering? What is the reason Paul is rejoicing in his suffering? Well, he says he is suffering in these verses for your sake, for the sake of his body, that is the church, for you. Now take a look at chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, that's a town just about 20 kilometers from Colossae, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So the struggle he has, the suffering he is experiencing is for you, for those even in another city, for those he hasn't even met face to face, those he is ministering to. Paul is rejoicing in his suffering not because he is a sort of self-flagellating stoic. He is rejoicing in his suffering because his suffering is for the good of someone else. It's for someone else's benefit. Now, this is about more than just being altruistic. This is about more than merely being selfless. Because Paul lodges this reason for suffering within a broader theology of suffering for Christ. He says these very striking words in these verses. He says, in my flesh, that is in my body, and with the sufferings I am taking on, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's a striking phrase. Now, this doesn't mean that something was somehow missing from the suffering that Jesus went through, as though the work of redemption that Jesus, that Jesus did on the cross was somehow not enough, as though Paul is somehow adding good works to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's not what Paul is saying here. What he is saying, what this means, is that Christ's sufferings for us, as seen on the cross and as seen in his life, provided the pattern for living for all who claim to follow Christ. It's as though Christ's sufferings were but the beginning, the beginning of a new age, an age in which this present evil age will continue to war against his body, the church. But this must take place while we live in the already not yet. While we are anticipating the rule of heaven being consummated on earth, we will always live with the sufferings of Christ. Just as Christ suffered for his people, so his people will suffer for him. Just as he gave his body for you, so you are to give yourself for his body. That's what Paul means here. That's how Paul can rejoice in his sufferings because he is, he is doing this for Christ's body and he is doing for Christ's body what Christ's body did for him. That's the, that's the way Paul is articulating this. He's not merely suffering for the sake of it. He's suffering for the sake of the church. That's why he rejoices. So a simple question of application or a question of reflection we can ask ourselves in light of this truth is what suffering are we experiencing currently for the sake of the body? What suffering am I experiencing for the sake of the body, for the sake of my brothers and sisters? What difficulties are you accruing because of your commitment to the church? If you aren't finding joy in that ministry, is it because you've forgotten why you're suffering? Is it because you've forgotten why you are even ministering in the first place? Have you lost the reason for your ministry? I think there are a few things in life as rewarding as seeing the fruit of the gospel come to fruition in someone's life after weeks, after months, after years of painful and patient ministry. A few things as rewarding as that. And it's in times like that when the pain of the past few weeks, months, and years seems worth it. It seems to really come to fruition. It seems worth the cost. 
when the good that you have worked for is now blooming in someone's life. It's easier to suffer, of course, when it's for yourself. It's clear what the reason is then. I'm working out and eating well so I can get the body I want. I'm working overtime at work to get the promotion that I want. I'm saving every rand so I can buy that iPad that I want. I'm putting in the extra hours to get a distinction that I want. It's easy to push through that suffering for things that are immediately beneficial to ourselves. But it's all too easy to lose our joy when we think that our suffering within the church is only for our own good. Because that's simply not how church life works. Yes, we are often blessed indirectly by blessing others, but it's difficult to keep going when that suffering seems to have no purpose, no goal outside of ourselves. And if that happens, then we've lost sight of why God has placed us in relationship with his people in the first place. We've been saved into his body in order to suffer for the body, to bear each other's burdens, and to give of ourselves for others. That's why we've been put into this body. And that's why Paul is suffering. That's the reason for his suffering. He says in verse 28 that the reason he is doing this is to present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says in verse 29, he says this, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is why he is struggling. This is why he is spending himself so that he may present the church blameless before Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 5, at the end of our passage, you can see where he finds his joy. He says, For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. While Paul is imprisoned, he's got tons to be complaining about. He's got tons to be bitter about and to be weeping about. And yet in that, he finds his joy in the fruit of the gospel in someone else's life because that's why he's suffering. That's why he's in prison in the first place. Paul hasn't lost sight of the reason for his struggling and suffering. That's why he can rejoice in his sufferings because they're not for his sake, they're for the sake of the church. So that's Paul's first reason for suffering that we see in these verses. But what's the second reason that Paul can have joy in his sufferings. Another reason that's woven deep into Paul's identity and ministry to the Colossians is that he is able to rejoice in his sufferings because he is suffering for something greater than himself. He is suffering for the gospel. He is suffering for Christ. We've learned that Paul is suffering for the sake of the church, but then he says in verses 25 to 27, he says this, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God, that is the gospel, fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not so much about who he is suffering for, but what he's suffering for. He is suffering for the purpose of Christ revealed in the gospel. He is suffering for the most valuable thing in the world, the most precious thing. He's suffering for the greatest treasure. He's willing to pay the highest price in order to attain the, price, the priceless treasure. That's what Paul is saying here. The, the treasure of knowing him, loving him, being known by him being treasured by him, finding hope in him, drawing strength from him, and having his identity found in him. That for Paul is a treasure worth suffering for. That's the reason for Paul's suffering. And that's why Paul is willing to stand before judges 
and magistrates. That's why he's willing to be put in prison. That's why he's willing to be mocked and shamed. That is why he is willing to have his friends and family turn their backs on him. For Paul, the suffering is worth it. You see, as much as we live in a world that highly prizes comfort and convenience, I think we also know that there are things worth suffering for. There are trades that we are willing to make. We make this on a daily basis. We do this on a sort of short-term, long-term basis. Maybe working after hours in order to secure a more stable financial position for your family. That's a noble pursuit. That's a noble reason to suffer. Or sleeping over at the hospital while, while your son or daughter undergoes a host of tests. That's a noble reason to suffer. Or driving 800 kilometers to comfort a grieving family member or friend. We're all well acquainted with suffering for some good. Or even suffering for something not so good. We might be willing to let our marriage relationship suffer in order to get ahead at work. Or we might allow our health to suffer in order to keep up with worldly relationships. We might be willing to allow our relationship with the Lord to suffer if it means gaining more earthly comforts. We all on a daily basis make this trade, this value judgment, and say, what am I willing to suffer for? But either way, what we're willing to suffer for reveals what we value. What we're willing to suffer for reveals what we value. If the pain is too great, we would let go. We would stop. We wouldn't continue. We wouldn't see it as worth it. I'm willing to go this far, but as soon as it hurts, why would I? If we see Christ as the treasure, though, as we see him as more worth anything that this world can give us, if we see his salvation as the greatest good, then surely we'd be willing to suffer for it, to know it more intimately and have others know that message. Do we treasure and value the fact that though we are wretched and rebellious creatures completely deserving of the wrath of God, yet God has loved us in Christ? Do we treasure that truth? He has so valued us despite our utter unworthiness, that he was willing um, to, to send Christ to the cross to die on our behalf. Remember these words from Romans 5, verses 7 to 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see the love of God on display by the extent to which Jesus was willing to suffer for the sake of those whom he loved. And I hope we, we understand the implication of this, the implication of Romans 5 verse 8. It's a nice verse to have on a fridge magnet on our fridge. But the implication of that verse is that you are not worth dying for. You're not that valuable. I'm not that valuable. Why would Christ die for me? That would not be a fair trade in the eyes of the world. My life for yours. Christ's life for mine. But what great treasure, what depth of worth is revealed in Christ if our eyes have been opened to the mystery of his will in Christ. This is the extent of God's plan revealed. Paul had had his eyes opened and was so taken up by the glory of God in Christ that he rejoiced in his sufferings, because he knew why he was suffering. He knew the reasons for his suffering. He was suffering for someone other than himself. He was suffering for something greater than his own life. He was suffering for Christ. So as we consider this text, let us find joy in our sufferings, knowing that we are suffering for Jesus, the one who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Let's pray.
Uh, Lord Jesus, help us to see you as the greatest treasure. Help us to value you. Help us to know the extent of your love for us at the cross. And may we be willing to suffer and even find joy in our sufferings if it means knowing you and making you known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.